0: Hey, good morning. good morning, man! So excited over the next uh, twelve weeks, where we're really gonna walk through really the the culture, the vision, the mission of our church, really the core beliefs and activities that we do that really make us us. And that's really the the kind of whole idea. And plus, I just really love the TV show. Come on, like, oh gosh, isn't that that's, that show is so good? Um, anyway, uh, so this is us really looking forward to the next few weeks as we go through. Um, uh, this uh, element with it. But but this is what I do when I pray for you. um, This is what God has really been impressing on me um, as I've been praying for the church and for for you guys in general is is Colossians chapter 2 verse uh, 6 and 7. This is what it says here um, is that, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down Uh, Grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. What I love about this verse is that you can tell if your roots are growing down deep into Jesus based off how much thankfulness is overflowing from you. God, I love that. And it makes me feel like junk all at the same time uh, because I know how much I complain even if I don't say it, right? Right? And so he's saying, really, there's there's this general understanding of the overflowing of thankfulness. They understand how much your roots are growing down deep into Christ. And so this is what I pray for our church is that we would understand that we like we really did the accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. We spent the first year on that, really, as we talked about worship and, and how our aligning... Uh, Uh, we're aligning our hearts with Christ. And this whole year, we've really talked about how to be in community with each other when a bunch of people who are following Jesus and accepting Jesus as our Lord really are doing that together in a community of people that we belong to. Um, But this is really what I'm praying as we grow into the next year and the next couple years really, let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. And I just pray that for you because I think that's gonna be the best part of your life when you do that. when it comes to our church in general, this, this next few few weeks is really going to be a lot of fun, and as we engage with community, Charles Spurgeon um, is an old preacher guy. He, 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 uh, he wrote this a, a while back, as he, he actually preached it to his church, um, but I, really, this, I feel like this is a good part about as we move into this season of community, if you want to throw that up. It says this, give yourself to the church. This is Charles Spurgeon uh, announcing this to his church. Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it, right? Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Next slide. As I have already said, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for your not joining it. If you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution of perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. Who, though, you, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers, the church is the nursery for God's weak children, where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. And that's what I pray when we when we when we are together. We understand that we are the, the the sanctuary for for sinners saved by grace, and that although you might have had big expectations about church, and you you're that you're that type of guy or type of girl, you're like well. Um, and the church is, if the church was a little bit more perfect like me, uh, then I would go a little bit more. Or maybe if the church was just a little bit more like me, or if I had my viewpoints, or did all this sort of thing. And that's really not what the church is. The church is a group of people saved by, saved by Jesus, given the understanding that we were once dead, now we've been made alive by the life of Christ and now we're pursuing him in the restoration of all things in the world. And really, what type of type of church, what are the major things of a, uh, this type of church that would understand that and believe that? And how they would move into the world because of that uh, is really what we want to dive into. A few ways that we want to do community this, this fall. Um, first, first off, next, Saturday, next Sunday night. Um, is is our is a worship night? We want to kick off this whole idea of being in community together uh, by worshiping together for a night. Uh, so next uh, next Sunday night, the 24th, six o'clock to 6:30, there's going to be some dinner. 6:30, um, we're going to start worship uh, the worship night. Come out to that, I man. We typically get you know get a pretty good response to a night like that. I man, just love for you to put that on. I already checked the Patriots aren't playing. Um, I mean, you know, with Amandola and Edelman out, who wants to watch the game anyway? Maybe at this point, uh, but but really, there, there's a. You know, we already checked; they're not playing, so you don't have an excuse in the fall um, to come hang out with us. Um, but you know, to next Sunday night, come hang out for for a little bit with us as we as we kick off this community uh, season with. With some worship together um, over the next few weeks, each week that we dive into a teaching, we're going to take communion together because not only are we going to teach about unity, we're going to talk about unity and figure out what a church is that has unity. Um, but we want to practice a unifying activity, and that's going to be communion. Because no matter where you are, whether you're six months or 106, you have community in a church because of the but the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because of your history, not because of your your future, not because of your socioeconomics, not because of your views or anything, it's literally because of the gospel that we find joy in that. I love that because it's not based off whether or not my kid plays soccer, then I'm in a community of people. Um, but it's based off the body and the blood of Jesus that we're, we're together and belong to each other. Um, and we're also, we also had a survey that went out last week. We always love to hear just kind of your feedback on what the, some of the major activities that we have as a church um, and, and what we do together and how we can uh, best help you be, take your next steps to become more like Christ. We'd love your feedback on that. So if you have... Um, if you haven't filled out this uh, survey yet, you can do it online as well. Um, I think I've only blitzed you with like 24 text messages over the last few days uh, so to, make, to remind you to do that, but love for you to continue to fill that out, drop it off at the connections desk and do that. But I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun as we dive into what a, what a church is, because this is us, this is us, and, and we want to dive into um, all of that God has for us together as a church. So um, let me pray, and then we're going to dive uh, right into all that we're going to do. Jesus. We want to be a church uh, that loves each other so well that, that people notice. Uh, we God, we want to be a part of a church that honors you, glorifies you in both beauty and duty, uh, but we also want to be a church that, that pours over into mission, overflows with thankfulness and overflows into all that you would have for us as a church. So God, to pray that as we, as we begin the descent of the year into um, uh, winter and into uh you know, into Advent and all the things that, that comes along with that. God, I pray that you help us uh, join together well as a community and be a part of all the things that you're doing so that we can be truly a part of the restoration of all things as we join you in that. God, help us see more lives changed by Christ as you interact with them, with the gospel, and look forward to thanking you for that as you do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Over the next 12 weeks, here real fast, if you throw the series up, um, today's the Bible. Woohoo! Um, the Trinity. Uh, The gospel, the church, the kingdom, these few weeks are going to be all about um, the core beliefs of a church um, that is going to be, that joins God in the participation of all things. Um, The the three weeks after that is the core values um, that we really are uh, engaging with when a church is uh, a part of the restoration of all things. And then we're talking about the church and money and how uh, they interact with everything and how we can uh, be a part of that as well. That's going to be the first, these 12 weeks, are really going to lead us all the way up to Advent and all that God is going to do in that. Um, And as we say, maybe we'll start singing Advent songs now, um, because I know some of you already listen to Christmas songs. I know that. Uh, Anyway, but just kidding. Um, But it's going to be a fun 12 weeks. So today is the Bible about God speaks the first, uh, kind of the core doctrine, one of the core doctrines about a church that joins God in the participation, or participates with God in the restoration of all things. We ready to go? Woo. All right, man. It's all right, it's all right. 8.30 was the same way. Everyone's kind of like, "Eh, I don't know about this whole thing. Uh, Anyway, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, this is what the Bible says about itself. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The, the scriptures are interesting. The Bible, yeah, you guys have one on your seats. You may have a few at home. Um, maybe if you were like my friends growing up, you put it at the highest place in the house, right? And you, you said, this is, nothing can come above the Bible. Who knows? Um, but, but the scriptures are this in, the, the interesting book, right? A book that's literally like 5,000 years old in some places, 2,000 years old in other places. We're supposed to read it and guide our life by it. And everyone said, that's weird, right? Everyone's like, no, 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 it's, No, this is, there's something true and beautiful about it and joyful, but at the same time, I mean, if, you think, if you really think about that, that this old ancient text still has power today to change lives and to really pers- help us pursue Christ is a weird concept. But there's truth in that, but I think sometimes that weird concept, what it does is it makes us drive away from it or dive into it. And sometimes we look at it and think, I don't know really what place it has in my life because I'm not really sure if it really can do the things that it claims that it can do. The Bible is this interesting thing because we're really supposed to seek life from it. We're really supposed to get to know God through it. And yet we're not really sure how to interact with it because it's this old text. Sometimes we get scared of it, don't we? I mean, it's like a scary thing sometimes when you're reading different parts of it. Sometimes you like to blitz it with different beliefs or different thoughts. Or you like to question it out so that you know, maybe, maybe like you can try to take away its, uh, uh, some sort of uh, power or some sort of authority in your life by, by, by blitzing it out with some questions and making sure that you don't believe in it or make, making sure you push it away. It's this weird text. And really, what place does it have? The Bible says of itself that it's, that it's the inspired word of God, that's infallible. It's trustworthy. And so we believe two things about the Bible to be true. It's that the Bible is inspired. It's breathed out by God. And that it's infallible. It's trustworthy to believe in. It's trustworthy. So it's infallible. It's trustworthy. And it's inspired. It's breathed out by God. Number one, it's inspired. Breathed out. This is literally like can be like the weirdest part about it the breath of God to his people comes out through the text we believe that the original manuscripts the things that the writers wrote down were inspired by God but if you think about how true how how interesting or how like actually powerful that thought is you wouldn't just let that passively move past you if you think about all the times that God breathed out the Bible talks about breath, Quite a bit. The word is literally God breathed in Greek. God breathed and we have a text that we can engage with him in. If you think about all the other times that God breathed out in scriptures, you won't let that passively pass pass you. It starts out with the connection, the original connection that God has with humankind. What he does is he takes some dust and he forms man. And what does he do? He breathes life into the man, creates him in his image to let him be a part of the beauty and the reign and the rule of God on the earth. And so we see that he literally creates life by breathing into man. Um, he He revives dead things through his breath. In Ezekiel 37, there's a, bo- there's a valley of dry bones, and, and it's an image for these people that their life can no longer be based off their own stuff, like what their own views are, what their own good ideas are. They're saying it all falls short, and God gives them this valley of dry bones to say, look, left up to your own devices, you're going to be a valley of dry bones, but, but if you move towards me, I'm going to infuse you with life, and he breathes life into the dead dry bones in the valley. Some of you experienced that in life before and you understand that. So he revives dry things, dead things. He also breathes out John chapter 20 when when Jesus is, is pursuing his followers. He breathes out into people and says you receive the Holy Spirit. So if you are a follower of Jesus here today, you have received the Holy Spirit to empower you to live the life that God originally intended for you to live. So he empowers you, he breathes out. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says again, he breathes out and gives us the scriptures. I mean, that's amazing. That in the text, that we have the ability to pursue a God that created the entire universe. He literally breathes life into man, he breathes life into a text so that we can experience him at the deepest level. Now, listen, if you understand that, you jump up out of your seats and praise God. Don't do that. I mean, Go easy. That's truly life-giving, that we can interact with the all-powerful, the triune God that created you, literally breathes life into you, breathes life into this text to give you the interaction. Now, the Bible is primarily about a God that comes and moves towards his people so that there can be peace alongside, peace with them again. So, we believe that the Bible is God breathed. This should change us at a fundamental level about the way that we see this text. Sometimes I feel like we pull away from the text because we do believe that God is speaking to us into it, and it's actually a hard thing to do. He breathes into them. The Bible is primarily a book about. God, he's engaging with all of that. When he says all scripture in 2 Timothy chapter three, when he says all scripture, he's refuting the idea that there's like more important scripture than other things. When, sometimes when I was in, in Bible school, if you, were in a de, if you were in a debate with somebody about the Bible, they'd say something like, well, Jesus said it. Well, versus what, who, Paul? Like, I don't, what do you, what do you like, well, no, well, Paul said that, not Jesus. And we were like, whoa, whoa, Like, all scripture is Profitable. All scripture is God breathed. He's saying that all scripture has this idea into it. Um, so he's he's breaking into this whole idea. But it's a book written by God for people to know Him. The Bible is, um, in terms of God breathed, is primarily theological in nature. We make it. What I mean by that is a lot of times the Bible is used for a lot of different things, but the book is primarily to know about. God, to know him. He's, it's got some other scientific elements to it, maybe it's got some historical elements into it, and you dive into that through archaeology and through, te- through, through, through dive into the science, you can do all that sort of thing, but primarily, the book is theological, underst- helping us understand about God, what we need to know about him. And so it's inspired, it's breathed out by him. It's infallible, it means it's trustworthy, and we have to dive, we spend a lot more time into this sort of thing. Um when we, when we do these classes in January, I'm going to do a Bible 101 class and just nail some of these a little bit more. But very quickly, the trustworthiness of the Scripture is strong. Um, f- the, pro- f- the first one is the prophecies. There's 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. 2,000 of them have already come to pass. And so it's speaking about itself. When it speaks, it actually, things happen. The things that it talks about happening, they have happened. 2,000 of them out of 2,500. There's unity, literally 40 people over 1,500 years are saying the same thing about God. There's literally over the span of time, there's 1,500 years that the Bible is written in. And there's messaging about God in the same way. Relevance, uh, it provides direction and answers to some of the life's deepest questions. So there's relevance, there's, there's, and there's fruit to that relevance. You see people's lives change from the result of the gospel, from the result of what's in the the guidance that's in the text. Manuscripts, um, the manuscripts and the variances, this one's always fun to talk about because people always like to dive in on this one in a, in a pretty major way. If you, if, you, if you don't want to touch any of the other relevance or the fruit conversation, they'll hit the manuscripts and the variances and allow the history to kind of beat itself up almost, uh, but, but the simply in a manuscript that the Bible was translated over the course of many different years and was copied to, to get all, all that we have. We have 5,600 manuscripts over the course of the last 2,000 years that the Bible has, co- has, has, has uh, been copied. And the first event that happens just 10 years after that event, ever, has anyone ever read um, The Iliad and the Odyssey by Homer? Have you ever heard that? That's the first historical book underneath the Bible that has a significant amount of manuscripts. Guess how many it has? Six hundred. Six hundred. The Bible has 5,600. They have 600. And the first copy shows up 500 years after he writes it. Where the scripture is 10. And so that's where, really where you start to engage in a pretty good conversation with some folks about the manuscripts of the Bible. Variances that a lot of times people throw out this idea, "There's well, there's 200,000 variances in the Bible. And variances are things where changes are between different, manuscripts, and there's a word change. And so in one text, it might say Jesus Christ. In the other text, it might say Christ Jesus. I know, that one's a tough, that's, that's a big change. I know, that's a tough one. But those will change from, t- from time to time, and it'll add, it adds up to 200,000. There's actually only uh, 10,000 places where those take, that, that takes place, and there's actually none of the major tenets of the faith where it happens, and so there's manuscripts and variances. Um, and then the role of women in the Bible. Um, th- this is a cultural thing in the first century. If you wanted to uh, make sure something did not continue on in this type of year, in this, in, this, in, this, in this type of culture, you would make sure that women were the primary eyewitnesses um, of the events. If you read the text, women are the primary eyewitnesses for some of these events. And at that time frame, that would have been seen as non-trustworthy. And yet it continues to move through time and history and continues to do it. Because, Because clearly, that's a good thing. Come on, where are all my girl power at? Right? Come on. If you wanted to make sure something died, you would make sure that would happen. But it moves through. It's trustworthy. It's infallible. There's some strong things. Now, our book is, what I love about our Bible, though, is that it's historical. And so there's lots of different things. You could ask tons of questions about it, and there's good debate that you can have about it. But the fact is that it's a historical document. I love that. Because it wasn't some guy behind a curtain that heard God and wrote a book down and then made sure everyone followed it. It was God conjured up and gathered over the course of 1500 years that has literally produced the, uh, a, group of peop- a group of people that are praising and worshiping the, the God of the universe and so we believe the Bible is inspired it's breathed out by God it's infallible it's trustworthy but it's profitable also Second Timothy 3 says it's also profitable for a few things and the first thing it's profitable for, profitable for is teaching it's profitable for teaching I've been saying this since I became the pastor here a couple years ago, is that what I pray for you is that I pray that you would desire truth, even difficult ones, that you would have a taste for truth. A lot of times what we do when we begin to worship and we begin to uh, believe in all that God has and is for our life, a lot of times he becomes and begins to look a whole lot like us. He has your same political views. He has your same uh, values in life. He you know, even likes the New England Patriots. It's amazing. But if you haven't had a significant challenge with what the text says, I would say you probably aren't reading the Bible. If God looks a whole lot like you, there's a good chance you're probably not worshiping the God of the Bible. There is always major teaching and major uh, uh, movement when you start to read the Bible for what it says. And you allow that to actually challenge you. Men in here, that happens all the time. And a lot of times men are like, whoa, no, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight against that or I'm going to do that. When you get into these things, but no, we have to come underneath the shaping power of God's word. And so it's profitable for teaching. It's going to teach you the best way to live life. That God's original intention for the world is really the best way that we can live life. It does change us in all that we are, but it provides us with the way that God says, you want to live life the best way? Live life the way that I intended you to live. Live life the way I created it. But what teaching will do, what good teaching will do, will spur us into worship in both our hearts and our heads. And I love this. In John chapter 4, he's talking to this woman at a well, and he says this to her. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Truth, what the Spirit will do as you are reading the text is inflame your heart to know Christ, to love him, to enjoy him, to be passionate about all the things that he would have you be passionate about. And in that inflaming will pour into your head to have an informed head about all that the text is saying and about all the things that are going on beyond it, all the things that are actually going to change because of it. Here's what we do sometimes, though, when we read the text. We have informed heads and we let it stay there. We think, oh, we learned something today. And we don't let it actually inflame our hearts to know God. I mean, if you think about this, God, the all- Creative, powerful, triune God creates the world, breathes life into him, allows all of things to, 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 to be overseen by them, breathes into life through it, and then does the same thing through the text and allows us to experience the creator of the universe. That it should enjoy, that should engage us in passion, not just not just this understanding, this intellectual experience, but it should actually speak into the emotional charge of who we are. Thank you. Come on, man. Yes. There's something there. It's not a dead book, it's not just words on a page but it's the power of God engaging us through the text. You have an inflamed heart that allows your mind to be informed and when your mind is informed it inflames your heart and you worship Christ and the glory and the beauty that he's engaged with all of that, it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. Reproof is the approaching with a disapproval, meaning that it will engage you where things are broken, where things are dis- disconnected, where there's sin present in your life. It will engage you with reproof. It'll put you through testing. It'll put you through trial. It'll put you, it'll, it'll put you through things that change you. We should learn to desire that. We should learn to acknowledge that. We should learn to engage that because what happens on the other side of that is life. When we're changed by him, when we're moved through him, we begin to engage all the things that the creator of the universe would have for us. sometimes Sometimes that involves being truthful and honest, we experience that in community where people are saying, hey, look, here's what the text says, and here's what your life looks like, and they, they do not align. We have people in our lives, man, I have people in my life all the time that say, hey, look, that's, that's not right. I have some people that will literally be able to say, how are you doing? And I'm not asking that because I'm trying to be nice, but I'm actually trying to get an answer from you. Because I can see it on your face or I can see things uh, going on. What's going on? There's reproof there. There's connection. They're saying, okay, there's a separation, a disconnect. But what it's also profitable for is not just to leave you on the altar of reproof, but it's to correct, is to give you the way to life. It's the way, okay, you know what, here's where the disconnection is, but here's how you should do it. The creator of the universe is trying to walk through life with you. Does it through reproof and correction, but, but not only that, it says not only is, he, not only is it profitable for teaching, reproof, for, for correction, but also for training. Training in the sense this, of this word, when, when Paul uses this word to teach his, uh, his mentor, Timothy, about how to lead people towards him, training was this understanding that, that it actually produced some sort of activity. Like you could literally see a fundamental change in the person's life because they employed the education. Man, churches for for years have been educated past the level of their obedience. And so I'd ask you today, when was the last time you made a significant life change as a Christian because of something you read in the Bible? When was the last time you made a significant life change because of something you read in the Bible? Because we'll, we'll do great, man. We'll come to church and we'll pursue the scriptures together and we'll do all that sort of thing in this, in this sort of thing. But, but we won't simply be trained by the text to live a life that God intended us to live. And so if you call yourself a Christian here today, we should desire the truth of the Bible. We should desire what it says. Because we want to know God, we want to be empowered to live the life that He originally intended us to live. So when was the last time you did that? And so for for, for me or for you, perhaps it's just this who has 15 minutes in the morning? Nobody. The sun stops for you, man, just stops, right? Take 15 minutes in the morning, find a chair, and have some chair time, and and, and honestly pursue the God of the universe through the text that he breathed out so that you could know him. That is amazing. And it should inflame our heart to know him as we inform our minds about him. It should lead to actual change. And so maybe just a quick image of what this text might do is that teaching is, is good and it will provide for you this context of how to live the life that God intended for you to live. It will, on one side, give you reproof. It'll correct you where there needs, there, I mean, it'll, it'll acknowledge you where it needs to be acknowledged, but then it'll give you the correction for how to live. So it will engage you with this separation, but then it'll also move you towards correction. The way it does that is through training. So, okay, here's how to change what you do and how you think in order to pursue the God of the universe and look a little bit more like Jesus. That's what, man, I pray that we could get to a point as a church, just, or just as people in general, that when we engage the scriptures, it's not just this peop- we're this people of the book, and we know we have a Bible, and it's this really holy thing, but with something we could actually pursue with all of us as we acknowledge and chase after the creator of the universe. That chair time wouldn't be this thing where we just maybe, but chair time is, like, we might even hit 30 minutes. But I pray that we could learn, that we would understand that the God of the universe Wants to be with you. Oh man, if we could understand that, we wouldn't run from this thing. A lot of times, what we do is, depending on the way that we grew up, we might, all right, we're going to put the Bible at the top. You know, it's got to be the highest place in the house, right? But we don't ever pull it down so that it can be the highest place in our hearts. And I pray when I was when I was growing up, a lot of times I would write in my Bible. mean, I just because like I wanted to know I wanted to know Jesus as I was interacting with Him. I just would I'd be scribbling, I'd be taking notes, or I'd be doing whatever whatever came out at the time that I was reading it or thinking about it or pondering it. But I had friends that would literally look at it, and be like, "Why are you writing in that thing? Oh my goodness, why are you writing in that? You know, and in, in the Bible it becomes not this living thing that's got that has breath." But it became an idol. It becomes this breathless thing that we learn to revere, but not actually uh, put into practice. That we develop a fear of. And so, man, I just would challenge you today. Do you have some chair time? Do you have some chair time? Just 15 minutes in the morning with the text, maybe a book, one of the books. John's a great one to be in. Romans and Galatians, if you're a bit more heady. Hebrews, about the person, about how Jesus is actually the best, the better one to believe in. Just take some time and be in that. Because what the text says, what Second Timothy three says, that once you understand that the Bible is inspired and it's trustworthy and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, it says that ultimately it's for, um, it's for the 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 the, uh, the the that the man of God, the man and woman of God, can be complete and equipped for every good work because he's trying to get you to participate in the restoration of all things. Like He wants you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be on his team. He wants you to join into this mission that, the, that God has for the world. And he wants you to be made complete. He wants your roots to grow deep. He wants you to grow in him. He wants you to be trustworthy. He wants, you to, he wants to entrust you with more. And he says, so this is for your completion." This, this is something we want to help with. And so that's why we do our men's breakfast, our, um, our women's mops uh, environment. And then a brand new one, She Studies, on the first Tuesday of every month, we're going to be uh, engaging for all women um, to do that. We want to help you with that. So we don't just do men's breakfast because we love bacon, although we do. But we're doing it to pursue... The creator of the universe to the text that he's given us so that we can know him. Do it with the men of our church. Do it with the women of our church. So she studies mops and mops and men's breakfast. They do these things We so that we can pursue the scriptures together. So we can know the creator of the universe together. Because it's profitable for to help you become complete and equipped for every good work. But Psalm someone. Uh, says this when David's talking about this as he pursues all of it. If you throw Psalm 1 on the screen there. Or not. Yeah, that's fine. There you go. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoppers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. We hear a lot about bless, being blessed in our culture. And the scriptures say you're blessed when you meditate on the, the law of the Lord day and night. So how's your meditation? Do, do we do that? We're followers of Christ. We're actually pursuing him. We're actually engaging with him. We're trying to take next steps to become more like him. Do we consider the text? Are we people of the book? Do we actually meditate on his laws and on his graces and on his joys, on his promises? And I pray that over the next few weeks that God would Allow this to be reinvigorated into your heart. That you would take the chair challenge specifically. Everyone up for a little chair challenge? Come on. All right, man, we got some passion there. Inflamed hearts. Man, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that God would make that a part of who you are. That we wouldn't be educated past our level of obedience.